Southern Skies. Online Media. This episode of Plane Crazy Down Under is proudly sponsored by Aviation Advertiser, Australia's largest aviation online marketplace. Now featuring aviation employment classifieds. Make buying, selling and job search easy by doing it online. Visit aviationadvertiser.com.au today. And by the GA8 Airvan, proudly manufactured right here in Australia by Gips Aero, gipsaero.com. And by Jet Ride Australia, be a top gun for the day. Visit jetride.com.au slash pcdu for the fastest ride in the country. Well, g'day folks, Merry Christmas and welcome back to Plane Crazy Down Under, episode number 80 of the program that looks at the world of aviation from an Australia-Pacific point of view. Our last show for 2011 and joining me as always is Grant McHeron. G'day mate. Hey mate, how you going? Not too bad, we've survived our weekend out there at, uh, at Aussie Services despite many technical hitches, but uh, we're here to finish this episode off and get it out before, uh, you know, Christmas 2012. Exactly, yeah, it's probably a good idea to get it out before the end of this year because there's so much we've got to do next year. And uh, joining us for this episode is somebody we haven't had on the show for a little while but we're very happy to have back with us the infrequent flyer himself Anthony Simmons. Anthony are you there? Yes indeed I am Stephen Grant. I'm sorry about that there was a little bit of a problem with the lock on the lounge but uh, I finally got out and uh, that was only after I'd complete the uh, emptied shall we say the uh, refreshment services area. When And oh. how is the view from the lounge as we speak? Uh, the view from the lounge is uh, absolutely perfect because there's a fully charged glass and a little bit of a valley in the background now, Anthony, um, the reason we haven't had you on the show for a while is uh, because uh, although you are an infrequent flyer, you've been doing a little bit of flying. You've been over in Europe. Indeed, I have, Steve. I actually spent um, the best part of October and November over in Europe and the United Kingdom and also had the opportunity to go to the Imperial War Museum Duxford for their last flying display of the year, of which I've got a little bit of a package that I'm putting together that hopefully will come out in between Christmas and New Year as a little bit of a bonus for listeners that uh, want an extended version of the view from the lounge, so to speak, that isn't just the small quiet, I'm getting snipey about the fact that Emirates haven't done the right thing. But then also when I came back, also when I when I flew back uh, just after I'd got back from Europe, I also flew up to Cairns and Brisbane and uh, there'll be a separate view on the lounge with that because I actually went with one of the low-cost carriers. No, no, so it's not did so. You, did you go with a low-value carrier? I went with a very low-value carrier and I didn't think they could sink any lower in my estimation. Oh, dear, oh, dear. How wrong I was. Let me guess, could we say meow? No, I didn't actually use um, the flying cat as opposed to the flying rat. I used another thing. Not the flying star. There might have been a bit of flying star about it. Well, we'll certainly look forward to that view from the lounge. Well, I tell you what, uh, we've got a packed program coming up for this, our last show of, uh, of the year, and uh, we're also going to do our traditional thing uh, as we've done the last couple of years. Uh, at the end of the show, we're going to have a big thank you session to uh, everybody uh, who's uh, helped and supported the program throughout the year. But uh, in the meantime, coming up, I uh, recorded an, inter- an interview a couple of days ago with our, uh, our US correspondent, our program historian, David Vanderhoof, someone we also haven't uh, been able to have on the show uh, as much as we would have liked to this year, but uh, David's been uh, very, very busy. But uh, I was glad that we could uh, spend some time catching up with him recently and uh, talk a bit of military stuff and uh, reminisce a bit about the year that we've had. Also, we talked to Adam 
Woolley from the uh, National uh, Junior Gliding Championships, which were held last week up in Queensland. And uh, Adam's going to come in and tell us all about uh, what was going on up there at the time. And uh, boy, Grant, sounds like they're having a great time up there. Oh, yeah, it's uh, definitely been a pretty interesting session for them, getting a lot of great flying in, up there in uh, Queensland, flying the gliders. So, uh, yeah, I was quite jealous. Would have loved to have been up there, uh, seeing if I could still remember how to fly a glider. And in uh, addition to that, uh, as the weekend has just passed, we uh, did uh, some recording. We had the mobile studio out at the uh, combined flying that we did with our friends at Aussie Services down there at Turretin Airport. A uh, wonderful day we had down there and got a couple of great interviews. Uh, we spoke to Mo Ferrando from High Alpha Media, who uh, brought down a couple of uh, very space-age-looking uh, helicopters, uh, you know, octocopter, I think he called it, Grant, and yep. uh, hexocopter as well, and uh, showed us some of the really cool things that they're doing down there with these amazing little machines. Actually, I was surprised to find out that they're classed as uh, UAS, as Unmanned Aerial Systems, so uh, he'll tell us all about that. And uh, we also talked to David Pilkington, who is a very well-known and very highly regarded member of the uh, aerobatics community uh, here in Australia, and uh, particularly down here in Victoria. In fact, he's quite well-known to Anthony Crichton-Brown and uh, does some judging with aerobatics and uh, all sorts of cool things like that. He actually brought his aircraft down and took Grant for a ride, so we've got a bit of cockpit audio from that as well. So uh, I tell you what, a very, very packed program, and uh, we're really looking forward to getting stuck into it. So let's do that right now and uh, catch up with our good friend David Vanderhoof. Well, joining us on the line from, uh, no doubt, a rather chilly Ridley Park, Pennsylvania, is our U.S. Bureau Chief, our program historian, David Vanderhoof. Hi, David. Hello, Steve. And believe it or not, it was 56 degrees Fahrenheit today, so it's not as chilly as it has been the last couple of Decembers. Yeah, I remember us talking uh, about this time last year when we were recording this segment, and uh, I, I remember you remarking then that it was uh, you had a much colder winter last year. Yeah, by this time we've had several. By this time last year, we had several blizzards. You know, that's when this frozen rain becomes meters and meters of stuff you have to shovel. I know that's far in concept to all you folks down there, but that's what it is. Yeah, it's always, well, I always find it funny we're here when they talk about dreaming of a white Christmas and all those sort of things. And like, uh, frankly, I'd be horrified if we had a white Christmas at this time of year for us. But uh, anyway, we're not here to talk about Christmas, David. Uh, I thought what we'd do is we, we wanted to bring you in uh, live on the show, but uh, we, we weren't sure that that would work uh, with our link. So uh, we're going to pre-record this. Boy, we had a big year and it was great that we finally got to meet in person uh, this year, which was a uh, an absolute highlight of the year for me uh, and we've got a couple of military matters to talk about so uh, before we go off and talk about uh, perhaps uh, some of the more cool things we've done this year let's have a talk about the Royal Australian Navy retiring its fleet of uh, Westland Sea King helicopters now the US Navy uh, they operate a lot of them too I believe actually the only people who currently fly the West were in our case it's the Sikorsky Sea King um, Westland built it under license for you folks in the Brits is, believe it or not, the only Sea Kings really left in the inventory are VH3s, which are commonly seen being boarded by our President of the United States, otherwise known as Marine One. That's pretty much it for Sea Kings in this universe anymore, which is why we were desperately willing to try to find a replacement for Marine One until that was canceled late last year. So right now, the president will be flying Sea Kings probably for the next, at least the next eight to 10 years. Um, We have a local company uh, that produces fiberglass rotors and upgraded avionics and stuff specifically for the S61L, which is the land version of the Sea King. And those fiberglass rotors have been under, the Marines have contracted to try to extend the life of 
our president's taxi. That, that brings up an interesting point, I guess, in general about the military. It seems to be that uh, whether it's in, in this part of the world or whether in the US, there seems to be a, a, an increasing amount of industry uh, building up outside of the military itself that's refurbishing older airframes. I guess, uh, you know, with uh, finances being as tight as they are, that some of these companies are really coming into the fore now. A lot of the stuff that's like that in the United States is a stopgap measure. Like we were expecting to be flying F-35s and instead we went out and bought all of Great Britain's carriers to supplement our AV-8Bs. The Sea Kings is is very much similar. The product that was supposed to replace it was a Lockheed Martin EH-101, which is was a combination of the Lockheed Martin helicopter and the Lockheed Martin building under contract, the um, Augusta Westland uh, Eurocopter EH-101 that they were going to build for the Marine One mission. Well, unfortunately, due to budget cuts and cost overruns, that didn't happen. So the president needs a helicopter to get around. And so we've got to do everything in our power to milk another 10 years out of these very old S3s, as we call them here. Well, speaking of some other Australian military helicopters that are perhaps pretty old, and um, in fact, we even lost one this year in Afghanistan, which is very unfortunate. Uh, we see here that was announced during the week that the Australian Army is uh, going to purchase an additional two CH-47D aircraft, one to replace the one we lost, plus one extra one. I think that takes our fleet up to seven now for the Army. The uh, the CH-47, the Chinook, um, you ever seen one of those, mate? Well, if anyone's listened to, the, listened to this podcast before, on a regular basis, a mile and a half at the most away from me, there sits at least eight or nine or 10, all coming off the Boeing assembly line. Um, I literally live in the town that Boeing built. The Chinooks come off the assembly line. I hear them. But most of all, the odd story is the talk about smells. The CH-47D and the CH-47F, which is the newest version, do no longer use rotors, uh, metal rotors. They use polycarbonate blends for the rotors. So they're composites and the rotors are baked. And when Boeing Vertol bakes their rotors, the whole town smells like hot, fudgy brownies. It's the most wonderful smell ever. And it's how I can tell uh, Boeing is baking rotors for V-22 Ospreys and CH-47s. I roll down my windows and there's lovely smell of a freshly opened oven with brownies. So I'm very fond of the Chinook. I think that's yet another reason for me to come and visit you over there in uh, in Pennsylvania, mate. It, it's pretty cool. Um what I was saying to Steve before we started actually recording was, ironically, while I can see them on the apron, I hardly ever see them fly due to the fact that the factory is directly south of Philadelphia International Airport. So when they test fly the helicopters or they tend to take off very low and fast and go down the river till they can get over to New Jersey and do higher altitude testing so they don't interfere with the um, comings and goings out of Philadelphia International Airport. So your new CH-47Fs will be coming off the line in the next couple of years, and I'm sure that I will hear them before they're delivered to you folks down Australia. Now, I was reading some articles online uh, just the other day about the uh, the CH-47F, and uh, it, it looks like that a number of the current F models that are flying around with the US military were, in fact, perhaps earlier models that had gone back to the factory at Boeing and been um, completely stripped down and then rebuilt. Uh, I'm taking it that's not the case for all the F models, though. No, there are new build, new build F models. The Boeing Vertol plant has an interesting history. The CH-47 has been 
built continuously since the mid 60s. Ironically, in the late 80s or early 80s, mid 80s, late 80s, Boeing was producing a whopping one Chinook every other month. And the reason why they were doing that was to keep the production line open because the army wanted to close it. But they had enough international customers to keep it the line open so that after Desert Storm, we desperately needed more heavy lift helicopters. Suddenly, all Boeing had to do was ramp up the production. It's a very interesting story how they single-handedly saved the production. And realistically, the CH-47 will be in production over 50 years, most likely. It's a quality product. It's gotten better over time, better engines, better rotors, better avionics. But the airframe is pretty much the same that when it first flew as the big brother to the CH-46 yeah, and it's uh, it's interesting too. I noticed that the the latest ones, and you would expect this, I guess, for uh, for modern times, the, the latest models uh, fitted with uh, glass cockpit, and uh, as you said, the uh, composite carbon fiber rotor blades. Interesting with those rotor blades. What is the advantage uh, for the helicopter in, in switching over from metal ones? I mean, do they get greater wear? Are they lighter? Therefore, uh, you know, there's obvious advantages to having lighter blades. Is that the reason they do it? It's a lighter blade. It's a more um, efficient blade. It's also a more easily maintained blade. Metal blades are, are once they're damaged, they're damaged and they're harder to replace. A CH-47 is not a little helicopter and those blades to change them if you can make them lighter and make the ground crews make it easier for them, that's more power to them. And the carbon fire rotors are better aerodynamically. They make, they're more efficient, better fuel efficiency. There's a world of advantage over um, the carbon fiber over metal. It looks like we're beginning as in 2014 and they're actually looking here at giving us a heavy lift helicopter capability out to 2040. Now, that's actually uh, been quoted by uh, Defense Minister John Faulkner. So it's obviously a, a fantastic airframe and it's going to be lasting for a long time to come. Uh, one of the other airframes that uh, you and I both like to talk about, because I, I know it's my favourite aircraft and I'm pretty sure it's yours, is uh, the C-130 Hercules. We reported on the Australia desk uh, recently uh, over on the Airplane Geeks podcast that Australia will be gifting uh, a handful of these aircraft to the Indonesian military uh, C-130H aircraft. Um, and one of the things I wanted to ask you about is, do we see many Hercules going off into civilian use? Because from my way of thinking, they must make fantastic cargo aircraft. Pretty much the... Alaskan pipeline in the United States was built by C-130s. The civilian C-130 was called the L-100, the Lockheed 100. It was also the first, the civilian C-130s were also the first ones to be stretched. It was not the military aircraft that were stretched. It was the civilian ones. Originally, it was the L-100-20 and the L-100-30. The L-100-30 became the standard length for C-130s. They do not make the normal original footprint length aircraft anymore. Lockheed stopped producing them about three years ago. The only way you get them now is stretched. So the civilian aircraft used globally um, for in Africa and in the Middle East and in the Arctic regions actually benefited the C-130s we all know and love from the military. Yeah, it seems to me that, I mean, I, I actually wasn't aware that these particular aircraft from, from our Air Force had uh, had been in storage, but, um, yeah, it, you know, it's and it's good for the Indonesians that they're going off there. Uh, they tell us to do mainly humanitarian work, but it's, it's one of the things I've always wondered is uh, why they don't use them more uh, extensively in civilian use, particularly down in uh, here in Australia where, you know, there's lots of distances to cover and, um, you know, air freight is, is, is really increasing. I would have thought apart from the fact that perhaps they're not as fast as a jet but uh, that aside you'd think they were very practical for it 
It's it's ironic that you talk about sending your C-130Hs to Indonesia. The United States happened to gift the Iraqi Air Force a set of six C-130s, E's, two of which were from the 913th Tactical Airlift Wing, which happened to be my the wing my father was basically an engineer on. And one of those C-130s happens to be one I had my first ride in a C-130 on, so... An aircraft that I grew up loving is now serving in the Iraqi Air Force. Well, I hope they look after it. (laughs) It just supports my old argument that says the following. The only thing that will replace the C-130 is another C-130. The other irony about my dad's squadron, the 913th, was when my father was hired as base civil engineer, he was hired basically to shut down the Air Force Reserve unit there. Well... After Vietnam, they decided it was important to keep the reserve unit open and they needed to get new airframes. They were going to get C-130Es. Well, at the time, they had a very uncommon variant, which was the Roman nose C-130A, which were the original C-130s. They didn't have that sort of Snoopy Pinocchio nose on the front. They actually came straight down. And the interesting thing about all of those C-130s were they were gifted to another country at the time. All of those Roman nose C-130s of my father's unit were gifted to the South Vietnamese Air Force. So the unit had, before it was disbanded, had a u- tradition of giving aircraft to countries who we had been fighting with. Oh, dear. Well, it's good to see that they're still up there and flying, and uh, there's a lot of very old Herks still flying around. I know that the uh, the Kiwis, I believe they're pretty old birds over there, aren't they? Yeah, they're E's. You guys had some of the oldest H's. It was interesting enough that the E model actually was the hot rod. The H got heavier, so it wasn't as efficient. The A's and B's and E's were the, quote, hot rods up until we had things like J's, which is a whole different the the airframe may look and the airplane may look like a C-130, but the difference between a C-130E or an H compared to a C-130J is a world of difference. The C-130J is a fourth or fifth generation C-130, and I have a feeling that they will be producing C-130s a very long time. Yep, and that's, that's good news for you and me, mate, because we love watching them. Absolutely. Well, uh, time's getting uh, getting away in us here, David. But uh, let's let's just wrap up the year. I mean, boy, what a big year it's been. Uh, I know for playing crazy down under, but uh, I guess the the absolute big highlight for all of us was uh, getting across there to Oshkosh. Uh, I think I've just about recovered from it, mate. How about you? Yeah, I think I got over it. Um, it was one hell of a quick week. You did get you did you personally did get your first helicopter ride. Oh yeah, that was amazing. That was my first chopper ride, and uh, you know, if I had to have a first helicopter ride, I'm really glad. It was in one of the old mesh helicopters. It was a, it was, it was a real experience. Yeah. I mean, Oshkosh, the Bell 47 is pretty ubiquitous over there. And though it wasn't my first helicopter ride, it really was fun getting to do it with you. So that was a highlight. Um, it was wonderful to meet the tornado, otherwise known as Grant. Um, <laughs> it really was a whirlwind week, folks. We we had an exchange of gifts. We learned about Tim Tams. I took Steve to a 
very, very fancy restaurant, something up here in the States called Cracker Barrel. Boy. Where they serve things like biscuits and gravy and scrambled eggs and chicken fried chicken and I think a we had all of those. calories served on one plate. Yes. Any wonder I've been living on Jenny Craig food ever since I got back. It's been an amazing year. Usually this time of year, I do a special This Week in Aviation. And one of my wishes last year, ironically, was to sit around a table with the people I had been talking to online for all these years. And that wish came true. It happened twice. I got to do it with my team at the Smithsonian, uh, Max, Dan, and Rob. And then I got to do it again in Oshkosh with Dan and Rob, and this time with Grant and Steve. And we got to sit, sit around the table and share jokes and suffer about the rain. And <laughs> it, it really was an amazing year to look back on. It, it really wasn't. You know, some people scoff at social media and bloggers and all that sort of stuff. But I tell you what, uh, for us, we've worked, we all of us worked very hard at making this a success. And, uh, you know, for me, that was just the culmination of, of a couple of years of, of really hard work and a lot of really fun work too. And uh, i got to tell you, the other highlight for us was walking through Chicago on our way to Giordano's with our friend Mike Wilson and getting lost and uh, trying to work out where we were. But I think we found the uh, the pizza place pretty well. So uh, that was a success. Never, never let it be said that Steve and I can't find our food destination <laughs> yeah no, it was it was an amazing experience and uh, i'm really glad that uh, that we got to meet finally david and i uh, our listeners probably know have become quite close friends and uh, you know it's it's one thing to be able to uh, talk to each other over skype and uh, share all our love of aviation and all that other sort of stuff but uh, finally getting to meet uh, in a very very humid uh, oshkosh in the middle of the american summer was uh, was a magical experience mate and uh, well we'll just have to do it again next year well we'll, we'll have to see who knows the time is getting away as i said so we'd better wrap it up there but uh, really uh, on behalf of the uh, of all of the team here at, on this side of the Pacific uh, you are of course uh, you know we often joke that every time I send David something I always put on the envelope to our US Bureau Chief but even though we haven't been able to have uh, David on the show as much as uh, I'm sure he would have liked this year because uh, I know David you've been really really busy in your day job listeners may not know but David provides us with a lot of uh, information particularly on military and, uh, and history sort of stuff and uh, even if he's not on air he's always uh, helping us out here David so uh, I really wanted to thank you for that mate and uh, long may it continue into the future well as i said to everyone as you came up north it was nice to have my down south team up finally um but i wish everybody a healthy and happy new year coming up and a merry christmas and though i'm not there physically i'm there spiritually and i wish everybody baz anthony grant and all of the family that have become playing crazy down under a very merry christmas and a happy new year and the same to you mate we'll talk to you again next year cheers as everybody knows, I couldn't actually make it to Oshkosh this year. I've not had a chance to meet David Vanderhoof, but I have had several conversations with him on the internet and over the computer and with Skype. And I'd have to say that um, I'm always fascinated that there is an American that knows so much about Australian aviation or especially Australian military aviation that I probably should know about. And I couldn't even tell you if it actually belonged to the RAAF. So certainly I find what just flew by absolutely fascinating. Well done, David, and I hope you have a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Yeah, that's very true, Anthony, and I tell you what, as I described David, uh, after, particularly after meeting him, David's like about six foot, uh, what do you reckon he is, Grant? Six foot four, six foot five? Six foot huge, mate, taller he's, than I he's am. Six foot, he's six foot huge of walking aviation, military aviation encyclopedia. What he doesn't know, I think it's probably uh, not worth knowing. And uh, I'll tell you what, David uh, does a lot of great work on the Airplane Geeks and is um, 
making quite a name for himself actually around uh, the social media world when it comes to uh, uh, the new media sort of work that we've all been doing and I think next year is going to be a pretty big year for David. I, I know that there's some opportunities that are, that are coming up for him that we can't really talk about right now but I think uh, all the hard work that David's done over the last few years is, is really going to pay off for him next year and um, I'm really looking forward to, to following it but uh, it was really a highlight for me to meet David in person this year along with all the other airplane geeks. Uh, David in particular has become quite a close friend of mine and uh, it was the absolute highlight of my trip. And in fact, I'll, I'll tell you something else about David. Um, one of the things that really stuck in my mind from Oshkosh, probably the thing actually that stuck in my mind uh, the most, more than any of the flying or anything else, was uh, the day that we were walking down to uh, organise to, to speak to Amy Laboda. If you might remember that we spoke to Amy Laboda, who regularly appears on UCAP uh, while we were at Oshkosh, and that was a, a real privilege to meet her. But the, the day we went down to organise that interview, she was actually doing a spot in the Oshkosh radio station. So while we were waiting, uh, we were sort of looking into the booth there and we could see her in there. And she was actually in there speaking uh, with a young US Marine, a very young fella. In fact, geez, he, he looked about the same age as my son, to be honest with you. And uh, this was a very proud young man. He was sitting there in his uh, crisp uh, United States Marines uh, uniform. Uh, you know, they have uh, very, very impressive uniforms, I think, the US Marines. And here's this young man sitting at the desk and doing an interview. And once it was all over, you know, they sort of uh, moved the chair back for him and out he went. Well, I didn't actually notice until a few minutes later that um, when they moved him out from the desk, he was in a wheelchair. And uh, this young fellow, when they wheeled him outside of the booth, had no legs. And uh, that was a really poignant moment. Now, um, you know, we sometimes pick on Americans and laugh at Americans if you if you live outside of that country for their uh, out there sense of patriotism. But uh, I tell you what, it really made you sort of think about really what was going on in the world when it comes to wars and, and what are we doing sending our kids off to these far lands and, you know, maybe even question what it's achieving. But uh, that aside, uh, David uh, walked right up to this young man and uh, shook his hand and uh, just thanked him for his service. And um, it was a really, really touching moment, actually. And uh, David walked walked away from that with the tears in his eyes and I tell you what I wasn't far behind him that was a, probably the moment that sticks in my mind the most from our time at Oshkosh it was a it was a really special thing to watch well mate whether you agree with the politics or not you've got to do all you can to support the poor buggers who are out there on the firing line and uh, you've got to give them your support look after them and treat them with the respect they've earned by uh, going out there and putting their lives on the line whether you agree whether they're there or not it's yep. it's an important thing and it's it, you know they're doing something that most people will never do yeah I can only agree and as Many of the listeners wouldn't have known. I've touched on the military, especially the aviation side of the military, on several of the views from the lounge. And I'd have to agree with both of the comments. The only reason I'm butting in is because none of the Steve or Grant is prepared to make the absolutely horrible segue that is, of course, David Vanderhoof does what just flew by. And I can tell you, because I was down at Turretin, we saw, or at least I thought, I saw one of the best flying vehicles I have ever seen in my life. I want one. I would crawl over hot coals and broken glass to actually be able to get one. The trouble is that it would last in my absolutely and totally inept hands about 3.2 picoseconds. <laughs> it's this absolutely fantastic miniaturized helicopter type thing or a hexocopter or an octocopter based on how many individual blades it has. But it comes from high alpha media and they do some really, really amazing stuff. And uh, fortunately, both Steve Grant and myself were able to speak to the operations manager and, the, uh, and also one of the pilots of high alpha media, which was um, Maurizio Ferrando. And I tell you what, guys, I don't know what you thought, but I fell in love with this. And uh, I just fell in love with the way he pronounced his name because I couldn't do that and he actually pronounced <laughs> introduced himself to me as Mo Ferrando and uh, they are amazing machines. Let's have a listen to that interview now. 
Speaking of what just flew by, we've got a couple of Yak 52 TWs here. We've got a Decathlon, the Tiger Moth, a few Jabaroos. It's pretty good. And uh, we've also got a um, rather large collection of rotating blades associated to a central object that uh, flies like a helicopter. Yeah, it's quite, it's called an octocopter, I believe. Isn't yeah, it? I've heard of quadricopters, but octocopters, it's like, ooh, that's a lot of blades. There's a local Australian business that's uh, set up here recently in Melbourne called High Alpha Media. They're doing some fantastic things uh, with the aerial photography using these amazing devices. We'll put some pictures of those up on our stream a little bit later on. But uh, Mo Ferrando has uh, come down from High Alpha Media to uh, tell us all about it. Mo, welcome. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Well, uh, tell us about these rather uh, futuristic-looking things. If uh, people didn't know any different, they'd probably think uh, we'd been invaded by aliens. They uh, look like a really space-age device. Yes. Um, in here, we have two machines. Um, one of them is an octocopter, and the other one is a hexacopter. Um, <laughs> basically, the amount of blades that you have is, will be the name of it. Um, what they do is they're, they're a German machine. Um, they're designed by microcopter. And in the last year and a half, they developed to the point that we can actually carry payloads that actually mean something. We can carry cameras that are very heavy and cameras that do professional work, HD quality, and we can move very quickly into places where you cannot do anything else. Yeah, I've seen the uh, sample video from a few of the ad breaks, uh, adverts you were filming, and yeah, it's absolutely fascinating. It's like you'd think at first you're thinking, oh, it's on a boom. They're just, oh, hang on, he's just gone off the edge of the cliff. Yeah. So, it's, yeah. uh, it's amazing work and being able to fly indoors and then go out the window and keep on flying out and <laughs> things like that, that you, there's no other way of doing it. It's basically doing all the impossible shots. Do you have to keep it visual while you're controlling it? Yes. Um, we, it's always a two-man operation. Um, there's a pilot and then there's always a cameraman. And you'll see that the top stays still in every case or the, the helicopter side and then the whole bottom section of it is just the camera side and that's completely independent so it can spin one way and the other and up and down and do all that okay so the pilot's flying a flight pa flight yeah. path while the cameraman's doing whatever he wants yes that's okay. correct now we have a lot of uh, photographers here that are, love to do um, aviation photography so a lot of will be interesting in what sort of cameras that you carry on the, on the rig um, on the ones we have here we can carry all the way up to a 5d uh, which is basically the industry standard for video at the moment as well. Um, we do have other machines that we don't have in here that can carry all the way to a Scarlet, a Red Scarlet or a Red Epic. So those are pretty heavy machines and yeah. we can carry up to four kilos with those. Are you able to do like IMAX filming or is it um, um, It depends HD? on the equipment. Uh, depends on whether want, the customer wants to put on it. Um, as long as it fits their payload capacity, we can put whatever they want on it. We can do thermal camera and go for fire inspection. And we can put a, yeah, a thermal camera and when we do equipment inspection, we can go up to a tower and see the hotspots and do things like that. that other ways you would have to go with a person and it's a lot safer this way yeah so there'll be much much greater use for these um these machines outside of just doing film work yeah, yeah it's not it's not at all just photography and video there's a lot more applications uh, search and rescue we can send them on a flight plan we don't have to always fly uh, by hand i can program the flight plan on the computer and send it on its way um, for search and rescue, I could send it kilometers away and it will come back eventually. Fully autonomous. Yeah, fully autonomous, uh, take off landing, everything. So That's great. It's, uh, they're amazing machines. So tell us about learning to fly them and uh, how much training did it take? Is it pretty easy for you to, to pick up, to adapt to? Um, if you can fly one of those toy helicopters, you can basically climb, 
can fly one of these. Well, you better like that, mate, Thatcher, because I can't fly those things either. <laughs> I'm learning, but my son Nikolai is brilliant at them. Yeah, they're, they're actually quite easy to fly. Um, the, the one thing that is very complicated with these machines is the orientation side of things because there's no forward, backwards, or things like that. Um, but except for that, the machine basically flies itself. You're just telling it where to go. The computer on board will process what your commands are and translate them to move forward, move backwards, and do That's what awesome. it needs to do to make it happen. So what are some of the projects that you've worked on recently, some of the things in the showreel, for example? Um, we worked with Red Bull and Star Wars and in the snow events and in Falls Creek this year. That was one of the first things we did. Um, we were following snowboarders down a big air jump with 100 and something feet and we're basically flying a couple of meters away from them and getting angles that it was otherwise impossible and it was, that was a, quite an amazing job. Um, we also did um, uh, Hyundai, um, BMW, Ford, um, all type of car commercials, car uh, reels. Um, we've done print media. We've done um, also um, some work for real estate companies when you do simulated views. Instead of having to go with a helicopter and go through the whole building, we can actually put it on where the building is going to be and go level by level and take a picture. That's great. Um, and then you got... We can tell to your customers, well, that's what it's going to look like from floor number 20. Yeah, yeah. So that's great. It's a very amazing machine. I am absolutely amazed, but I have got one question, Mo. When you've got a payload on, does that affect the handling capabilities of the octocopter or hecto? decimal copter or whatever it was. <laughs> um, it actually makes it a bit easier to fly when it's heavy. Um, it's not easier to take off or land, but it's easier to control in the wind because it's got its own, it's got more mass, so it can hold its own a bit better. Um, when you're coming to land, it's a bit harder because when it's coming down, it's coming down. Uh, <laughs> it really wants to come you down. You have to really catch it. Uh, yeah. But except for that, it flies exactly the same way. The, the, the flight control will take care of everything it knows that it needs to send more power to each engine to make it work. So. We were chatting just a little bit before, and uh, you mentioned that they're all electric, they're battery-powered. How great a life do you have with your batteries, especially as you increase the weight of the payload uh, in regards to how much flight time and then obviously camera time that you can get? Yeah. Depends again on, on what we're carrying. Uh, with the 5D, that's why we have the Octo. Um, the Octocopter, because it's a bigger machine, it's got more engines, it doesn't have to strain so hard to lift that much weight. So in that case, we can carry about 10 minutes of flight time. Um, with the same, the same camera with the Hexa, that would be about five minutes. So that shows how those two extra engines make actually quite a big difference. Really helps. Um, because the, all the engines are working a lot lighter, so they're not drawing so much amps out of the, uh, of the batteries. Um, except for that, they're very good machines and they're very efficient. Um, if, if I'm flying it the way I'm now, I can fly for about half an hour. Okay. And what are your flight parameters in terms of winds and, and like conditions? Um, flying, uh, our top speed in terms of wind will be about 35 knots. Um, now, we wouldn't be able to do the decent quality video at that, at, that, um, at that wind speed, but we can still do photography and stuff like that. The machine will fly. Um, and again, the more weight it has on it, the better it can hold its own. So it depends. Again, every situation is a bit different. Yeah. And what sort of a range do you have? Um, on the controllers, uh, we've got a couple kilometers on them. So we'll lose sight before we lose control. Um, they're all running on 2.4 gigahertz, and they're very, very long range. Um, our downlinks and all our systems are kilometers of range. So. 
and that will become a very small dot before you lose <laughs> do you use an encryption uh, frequency jumping system or um, every every time we turn it on it's its own code so we can turn 10 of them at the same time and they will not talk they will not cross okay. over cool how many of these sort of machines are in the country? Are you the only guys doing this? or are those um, No, we're not the only ones. This is not a new technology. Um, we're the, the first certified company that does this. Um, we're certified by CASA to do aerial photography and video. Our machines are certified to fly. We've gone through the whole process of doing it. There's other people doing it, but again, it depends on what they want to do. But right now, we're the only ones certified to do it. So CASA did play quite an active role in uh, making sure that you, uh, you know, had everything put away. Yes, um, these are classified at U as uh, UAS, which is an right. aerial system. Um, they qualify basically as the same as a UAV flying over Afghanistan. Yeah. Um, so there's quite a wide range in terms of what, what these machines are. They're from UAV is basically all the way from a 150 grams to 150 kilos. Right. So there's quite a wide margin there. That's interesting because we know that uh, CASA at the moment is looking at a draft plan to uh, change some of the, the rules for, for uh, unmanned aerial vehicles. So I guess you guys would be uh, quite heavily involved in... in yes, that's correct. We've been, that. yeah, we're, we're always involved in because... It, there's a lot of this stuff that doesn't exist at the moment. It's all very new. Um, when we go present something, it's not something that you can copy from someone else and copy-paste and do it again because it doesn't exist. It, it wasn't there before. When you go to, what is your fuel load? Well, it's all electric, so we don't have to worry about the fuel. So it's, a, it's all these new things that weren't there before, so we have to develop with CASA to get them across. So. Yes. It's like what's happening with the LSA aircraft, where uh, they're, they're talking about you've got to have a certain amount of fuel and a certain max speed, but it's we're electric. We don't have you know, with these new electric aircraft trying to come in under the light sport. Yeah. It's, it's always something different, and again, each machine is something different, so it depends on what we're doing, what we're carrying. So again, um, that's changing, and we're always trying to get involved and making sure that that changes accordingly and makes sense. Okay. Now, CASA are relatively flexible in dealing with this introduction or introductory or new technology, or do you really have to get down to tin tacks and explain that this is just a fundamental and revolutionary concept, as you say, that's not been seen before? Um, it took us years to get our certification. It's not something that CASA is easy to deal with. There's a lot of bureaucracy, and again, it's the unknown. Um, the people dealing with the people within CASA still don't know what, what's happening, so it's really hard to work through it and get something through. There is um, uh, rules again uh, around it, uh, but yeah, it depends. And again, every situation is different. Well, mate, they're absolutely fascinating machines, and we really do appreciate you uh, bringing them down here today to uh, tour it and to uh, show them off to the crowd. And uh, it's, it's it's really been fascinating to watch. In fact, uh, we all got a little bit distracted watching them for a while, and probably delayed our recording. <laughs> no problem. Yeah, no. So Always uh, an eye catcher. That's <laughs> for sure. Definitely unique, distinctive, different. Yeah. And I want one, but the trouble is I can't even drive a remote control car. How the hell am I going to go with one of those? <laughs> no, I've seen you drive a train, mate. You'll be right. <laughs> <laughs> the company is High Alpha Media. You can find them at highalphamedia.com.au. And, uh, of course, you've got all the associated uh, social media that you Twitter stream running as yes, well. Yes, that's correct. Fantastic. My friend, we really appreciate you uh, bringing them down. Thanks very much. Thank you. Thanks, yeah, Thanks.
Always wanted to be a Top Gun? Looking for the ultimate heart-pumping experience? JetRide gives you that and more. With your personally tailored flight and individual gift pack, JetRide will make your dreams come true. At up to 900 k's an hour in a Soviet-era L-39, this is the jet fighter thrill of a lifetime. Go to jetride.com.au slash PCDU or in Australia call 1-300-554-876. Nothing is impossible. Take off for the adventure of a lifetime with Ozair Services and the Turidan Flying School, where you can live out your passion and learn to fly. Book a personalised charter flight to Lake Eyre, Flinders and King Island or anywhere in Australia. Or enjoy an adventure flight for yourself or as a gift with scenic and aerobatic flights in the classic Tiger Moth on weekends. Take flight with Ozair Services at the Turidan Flying School. Go to ozairservices.com.au. G'day, I'm Michael. Hi, I'm Rosalind. And we're We're from downwind.com.au, the website for aviation enthusiasts. Come and join a community of passionate aviators who love to share about their experiences and the joy of being in the air. On Downwind, you can participate in forum discussions, view great photos and videos, and keep up to date with a weekly newsletter. So come and join the community at downwind.com.au. I'm James Williams from Podcasters Emporium and you're listening to Plane Crazy Down Under, now proudly part of the Lifestyle Pod Network. David Pilkington, welcome to Plane Crazy Down Under and the Aus Air Services Christmas Barbecue. How are you doing? Thanks, Grant. It's just a fun day here already, I see, with the two yaks. Yeah, we've got Andrew here and it uh, looks like Jim Wickham just arrived, so that's great. So, um, David, can you tell us how you got into flying? I'm not sure how exactly. I just recall being a, a teenager, early teens, and all I wanted to do was a vertically upward snap roll in an aeroplane. <laughs> that was my one ambition in life. Had you seen someone doing it before? No, I hadn't. I've, I, yeah. I must have read about it, but I'd okay. never seen one before. Cool. So I eventually achieved that ambition probably about 78. Did okay. my first vertically upward snap roll. So you went straight into aerobatics with your flying? Exactly, yes. I, I did my um, restricted licence down Geelong on a Cessna 150 and Ob Cook taught me to fly back then and uh, he later taught me aerobatics in an Air Tour 100. Orb is getting close to his mid-80s now, still instructing RAA. That's great. And still flying aerobatics on his PPL. That's awesome. So uh, did you have any intention of a career in aviation or has it always been a fun thing? Uh, I... Well, I'd always intended to be a, have a career involved with aeroplanes. I ended up uh, as an aeronautical engineer, working with uh, mainly uh, Nomad initially back in the uh, 70s. What was that like, that project? Well, that was a, uh, just a fantastic opportunity for a young engineer to work on a full project like that. You know, these days the kids might get to design you know, part of a wing rib, for example. So it's very hard to get into a project at that level these days. So, yeah, you were, you were right in the heart of it, even as a young apprentice and so on? Uh, no, not an apprentice. I was a design engineer. Okay. So my background was in uh, aircraft flight handling, performance flight testing. And how long were you on the Nomad project? I don't think I've actually ever stopped off and on. Are you, you having know, anything uh, to do with um, Gipsero, who are resurrecting uh, I have been doing a little bit of work for Gipsero recently. I know, we can't really ask you anything major about that, of course. But uh, it looks like it's going to be great to see the Nomad flying again. 
Yeah, it's, again, that's certainly going to be an exciting project for uh, La, La Trove Valley and Total. It's yeah, going, going to mean a lot more jobs down there and, uh, and certainly will be a different aeroplane than it was before too. That much is certain. So what, after you worked on the uh, Nomad, what other aircraft did you work on? I did some work uh, with the, the RAF on uh, China studies. So we had a look at uh, basic and advanced Chinas. We had a look at a caribou replacement and okay. as many people have had over the years... Uh, I got involved with um, the Australian Aircraft Consortium in designing the uh, CD4 replacement, which is a two-seat side-by-side turboprop aeroplane called the Wimera back then, okay. which was then uh, cancelled and uh, PC9 was bought. But, uh, yep. but along the way, one of the interesting aspects of that job was the opportunity to spend uh, quite some time working with NASA and the Spin Research Centre we took some models over to NASA and uh, did some rotary balance testing and some uh, free model testing in NASA's spin tunnel. That would have been pretty fascinating. Uh, so throughout this time, you've continued flying on your own on your own time and so on. Was there any, ever any paid commercial kind of flight or has it always been private flight? It's always been private until... Uh, in the mid-90s, I decided to do my commercial and instructor's rating, and halfway through my instructor rating, I ended up with a job in the USA at uh, Aviate Aircraft, which is manufacturer of the Pitt Special and the Huskies. So yeah. certainly all, all my um, amateur experience with the Pitts and aerobatics certainly was a contributor to gaining that job as Vice President of Engineering at Aviate. That's great. How, how much time have you got in the Pitts now? I stopped counting at a 1,000 hours. <laughs> In most model pits, uh, they're just fun aeroplanes. I know you brought your uh, decathlon down to uh, to tour it in today. How's, how long have you had that? I've had that for 11 years now, and uh, I bought that after I, you know, I sold out of the laser, which was just just a fun aeroplane. Okay. Too, but um, it wasn't a very sociable aeroplane, being a single seat specialised aerobatic aeroplane. Yeah. So I bought the decathlon, and I use that for training and. You know, spinning aerobatics and unusual attitude training. Okay. Do you still do much flying in pits? Do you still have one of them? Uh, I've got a half share in a pits, and I've got lots of friends who have pits as well. We've got a pits S2A, which we keep at Tokemol, which is an nice. ideal location for operating a pits and uh, flying aerobatics. Okay. More sun than the Sunshine Coast. and. Uh, yeah, very nice location. Okay, the, now you're, when last we uh, spoke about that, it was Aviat in the uh, US. How long were you there for? So for a few, a few years. It's one of the factors was it's not a very sociable place with a with a young family. I wasn't going to sit my my daughter for much longer, and uh, social life was a bit grim for the for the wife. And uh, so it came to a choice between uh, staying in the states or coming back to Melbourne. And my wife said, "I only want to move once more in my life." So that was a threat that I couldn't ignore. <laughs> she who must be obeyed. Yes. <laughs> But it's a, just a fantastic experience flying in that part of the world and, and working at the Pitts factory. And so after that, you came back over here. And what did you do back here? Uh, I was chief engineer at the, the Boeing factory here in Melbourne for, yeah. for some time. So which projects did you work on there that you can tell uh, us about? Uh, well, we still had Nomad there to support, so you can never escape Nomad once you're on it. <laughs> uh, the main job was the uh, F-111 uh, update programs mm-hmm. and, uh, of course, uh, supporting manufacturers. So we, at the time we made Boeing 777 rudders, uh, quite a few Airbus components, and, of course, the F-18 manufacturer was... Of course, that was a big project for them, wasn't it? That's right. Yeah. yeah. 
Okay, and so now you're semi-retired or...? Yeah, semi-retired, although I made the comment recently I'd like to return to full-time jobs so I don't work as hard. <laughs> Your full-time job is easier than what you used That's to do, right. huh? Yeah. yeah, yeah, I do a lot of ad hoc work and, you know, sometimes it's uh, more demanding than a, uh, a single full-time job. Yeah, it can be, it can be, when you're trying to juggle too many things and everyone wants it now. (laughs) That's it, yeah. So uh, with your flying, you're still doing the aerobatics and so on, and I understand you recently received an award from the FAI. That that was the FAI Paul DeSantia Diploma in recognition of my contributions to aerobatics over the years. So those contributions, it's just in terms of all the training you've done and uh, what what have you done more Uh, than that? Well, the other... uh, aspect was my my work off and on with the aerobatic club over the years so you know, various roles from you know coaching judging to administration and president of the local chapter and okay. several terms on the national committee so lots of volunteer work it is well it's it's a good club it's uh, we have a number of events throughout the year every state has an aerobatic competition yep. and the nationals uh, which this next year will be at uh, Togmole at okay. the end of October. We just had Grant Piper on the show talking about the Worlds and a couple of Australians who went back for, it's been a while since we had any Australians at the Worlds. Uh, are you going to be involved in um, any of the Worlds in the future? Oh, I'm a bit past flying at, the, at that level but uh, I've just been uh, awarded the position of international judge. Yep. So, uh, so I was just talking to Grant recently well now, now that I'm an international judge uh, what does that mean? What can I do? And Grant suggested that in Siberia next July is the Yak 52 World Aerobatic Championships. So, oh wow! Specifically for Yak 52s, and so uh, I, I must talk to Andrew later. If Andrew goes, then uh, I, I'm happy to go along and judge. It's rather amusing. They're going to send you to Siberia, huh? Yeah, hopefully it's in summer. I've heard about Siberia in winter. <laughs> Even in summer it can be pretty yeah. cold. Then again, in where the Pitts factory is in Wyoming, you know, I'd get up in the morning and generally it'd be minus 40 degrees and uh, wait till it warmed up to minus 15 before I went flying in an aeroplane with no heater. <laughs> yeah, a bit <Ouch>. brisk. <laughs> that would be very cold. So uh, where to from now? You've got your decathlon, flying a Pitts occasionally, doing the part-time work. It's going to keep you pretty busy, I'd take. Uh, yeah, just trying to enjoy life at, at my age. That's uh, the main objective and also help people with uh, you know, e- either their uh, personal development as a pilot in helping them with upset re- recovery, unusual attitude work or help people get into the sport of aerobatics. Uh, either way, whether it's with you know, the basic training or, or coaching them when they're getting into competitions. Okay, excellent. So, that's great. And whereabouts are you based here in Melbourne? Normally, Moorabbin. I know it took me a while to think of the answer, but I do some work for, with Lilladale and because uh, we, we have some events at Tokemola uh, as well yeah. where we have uh, training camps on a regular basis. Okay. And if anyone wants to contact you, they can do that through the Australian Aerobatics Club? Uh, yes, or just Google me. I'm sure I'm pretty easy to find with uh, Pilkington and Aerobatics. <laughs> Okay. Well, thank you very much for coming on the show and congratulations for the FAA, FAI award and the, uh, the uh, international judging. Thanks, Grant. And, of course, the next step is for us to get an aeroplane and try some aerobatics ourselves. I think that sounds like a brilliant idea. Well, there you go, Grant. And I'll tell you what, we've been wanting to talk to David Pilkington for a long time and he's a very softly spoken man but uh, obviously uh, very highly regarded and, uh, boy, it was really interesting to hear about some of the things he was talking about there, not only from the aerobatic standpoint but from the engineering standpoint. Indeed, mate, indeed. Uh, uh, known about David for a while and met him uh, 
just over a year ago when I was going up for the aerobatic flight with Joel in the uh, extra and uh, I was up with Joel and Dave was up with Cole Appleton and the two aircraft were out there formating for a bit and then uh, went off to do separate sets of aerobatics and have some fun and yeah so got to meet David then and had a really good time chatting with him and hanging out and uh, we've caught up a couple of times here and there and finally we had a chance to sit down and have a chat. I'll tell you the first time that I had any interaction with David Pilkington was probably as far back as about 2000 and to 2003 thereabouts. Uh, one afternoon I was down at Moorabbin Airport and uh, just happened to snap off a quick photo of a, uh, at that time, a yellow and white decathlon. And uh, as it was taxiing out, and as, as is my want, I thought I'll put that up on, uh, well, I tried to submit it to airliners.net, but as I'm singularly unsuccessful at doing any of that, it ended up in myaviation.net. And uh, somehow or other, uh, a day or two after it went live, uh, I got an, an email from uh, via that website from David saying, I really appreciate the uh, picture that you took of my airplane. Thanks very much. <laughs> and I thought, that's amazing. And I I, I did um, actually end up getting his phone number and having a talk to him at the time, but uh, uh, never ended up uh, organising to go up for a flight with him. Uh, but uh, it wasn't a problem for you, Grant, because you managed to go up in Juliet, India, Romeo, and went for a tumble around the skies. That's right. Uh, after our brief chat, David went off and got some food. I went off and uh, organised a headset, and the two of us, uh, a little bit later, went up in the uh, decathlon and uh, crawled our way up to 5,000 feet. It had a little bit of fun trying to do that with my lard butt sitting in the back. But I uh, got some great views of various aircraft coming and going at the uh, airport, including uh, Jim and Jenny Wickham going back home in their, to Tyab in their Yak-52 with that beautiful uh, leopard cheetah kind of color scheme on it. And uh, looked at a couple of aircraft, chatted with you for a bit. And then at 5,000 feet, David lined us up on the airport and uh, he talked us through the aerobatics he was doing, much to the delight of everyone uh, down on the ground. And uh, I got to put in a few woohoos and uh, obligatory comments like that. <laughs> so here's an edited version of what Grant sounds like when he's being thrown around the sky. Sounds like, again, he's having too much fun. Grant calling for PCDU. Over. Hello, Grant. Yeah, I could just hear you, mate. Well, uh, now that you're up there, you'll have to describe for us what you're doing. Okay, well, right now we're uh, flying along in the uh, decathlon. Uh, we've got Turidin in our sight. And we're just going for altitude. Uh, looks like Jim and Jenny have just gone below us in their uh, yak. Yep, that's them. Now you got David Pilkington flying out there, mate, so he probably knows a thing or two about uh, tricky manoeuvres. I, I think he ought to, you know, put you through a, a good set. Oh, mate, we're certainly enjoying it so far. We just did a little uh, high bank S turn just to keep them in our sights. I wasn't sure if he was going to drop in on them, but, uh, yeah, it's all good. Uh, I'm just, the push to talk is on top of the stick, so I've just got to watch out that I don't get in David's way. All right, well, uh, when you kick it off, let me know. Gentlemen, we're at 5,000 feet. We're uh, starting our line-up on the uh, runway, and David's going to talk you through a few of what he's doing, and uh, I'll hop on and brakes and let you know how I'm travelling. We're just going to do a simple sequence of some basic neighbours. Um, yeah, Grant uh, stands up to it, uh, and then we'll uh, take a short break and do a bit more. Yeah, OK, well, uh, yeah, Grant, Grant likes the really heavy aerobatics there, David, so, you know... Uh, we'll start off with a barrel roll, we'll just start back at a little bit of speed and pull a nose up high and wait to stick over to one side. Here we go. 115 knots, pull up high, wait to stick over and just watch the uh, the ground twirl around us. Just like sitting in an here watching the wheel go round. Finish on line, now I'll dive down, get some speed up and do a loop. 120 knots, pull hard on the loop. Pulling back, full throttle. Just let it float over the top of the loop, feeling light. There we go. 
I got some towers to come down and see if it increases. Woohoo! Tower Dill Stroll Chain, we got the airspeed, pull up, full throttle, turn a bit of rudder to keep it straight, and hit the rudder. Bit of arlo on an elevator to keep it straight, centralise the rudder, throttle back. That's so awesome. And a bit of inverted flop. Holy Sam's still in survival, a white grant still laughing. Absolutely awesome, guys, totally loving it. Woohoo! Are you not trying hard enough, David? We'll come around again, we'll try some uh, Cubans and reverse Cubans and, and maybe a Humpty or two. Here we go. I'll either thank you or hate you, Vicious. You'll be right, mate. Try Humpty first. We're going to dive down, get a lot of speed up. Stop the green, pull up the vertical, pull the throttle and roll it. There's the ground and the sky. Let's go up and do a, a clover leaf. We, yeah, we hit our slip straight now, but it's very good. Try a reverse Cuban, so we've got 120 knots, engine on the red line, pull up 45 degrees and we'll roll inverted. By the same with a Cuban, 120 knots, pull up for a loop and roll on the downside. Woohoo! There we go, and roll. Up into a stall turn. Let's try a loop to finish up this sequence. Okay, up to the vertical, full throttle, just letting it float over the top. Did you say Grant? Enough, let's quit before it's too late. Yeah, but something's just starting to say, hello, Grant. Looks good from down here, but Grant. Oh, it's freaking amazing from in here, mate. Well, here you go, Steve. I Like I keep saying, life is better inverted. I'll tell you what, I was trying to uh, get uh, David Pilkington there to, uh, you know, really push push you to your limits because I, I know that, uh, you know, vitamin G is something that uh, you don't mind getting a good shot of, but it uh, sounds like you got to a point there where you'd perhaps reached your limit. Oh, I definitely did. I had to call knock it off, that's for sure. I uh, I haven't done much arrows. Oh, I did the L39 recently, but that's twice that I've been up in a year. Um, haven't really been looking after my health, haven't really been uh, eating properly, drinking lots of fluid, all that kind of stuff. So I probably wasn't in the best physical state to go doing arrows, but what the heck, up we went, got some maneuvers in and had a really good time. And then suddenly I was smelling the uh, fuel oil and uh, you know, getting that little bit of a slight tingle, cold feeling. And it was like, yeah, that's it. Knock it off. So uh, we called it quits and came back down. Yeah, I remember Mark Pracy saying to me when uh, I went up from IL-39 ride when we'd done quite a few manoeuvres and, and I've really not done a lot of aerobatics really ever. So, uh, uh, you know, he offered me one more manoeuvre once we'd finished the routine. And oh, part of me was saying, yeah, but my stomach was saying, listen, fella, <laughs> let's let's not push your luck. Yeah, no, I didn't, I didn't want to uh, ruin the inside of that beautiful decathlon. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, Grant, uh, you know, one of the other aircraft that you've had some time in is a uh, Blanick, I think they're called. You've, done a, you've had a bit of gliding action in your younger days. That's right. Uh, back in the uh, late 80s, I used to go gliding with one of my lecturers from university and uh, we'd go into, uh, go fly at Massey Aerodrome near Warwick out the uh, hinterland of Brisbane area. Yep. And uh, Queensland must be a very popular place for gliding because uh, last week they hosted the uh, National Junior Gliding Championships or better known to us as Joey Glider. And I actually found out about this via uh, someone in the Twitter stream actually uh, retweeting one of their things. So I just happened to catch that at the right time. So uh, we made contact with the uh, contest uh, director, Adam Woolley, and uh, had a bit of a chat about what's going on up there. Well, the Interno Junior Gliding Championships are being held up at Kingaroy in Queensland this week, and joining us on the line to tell us all about that is the contest director, Adam Woolley. G'day, Adam. G'day, uh, Stephen Grant. How are you? We're very well, mate, and thanks for spending some time with us. Tell us about the uh, Joey Glide uh, Championships. So what's happening up there? Yeah, it's uh, basically it's a, it's a junior event, uh, and by junior we mean uh, 25 years or less. And uh, it's basically uh, to try and uh, promote, foster, and uh, develop uh, youth uh, gliding in Australia. 
this event gets us all uh, together uh, to share fun, uh, learn from each other, and, and uh, ultimately uh, select select a team that will represent uh, Australia at the uh, World Gliding Championships. Now, it's being held up there in Kingaroy. Uh, tell us about the setup that you've got there, a lovely location, and uh, must be beautiful at this time of year. Absolutely. Uh, the uh, good old uh, Joe Bielke, uh, Peterson uh, country, and, uh, yeah, the peanut couple of Australia, the uh, South Burnett region's, uh, yeah, been very kind to us all, uh, putting on uh, great weather. Uh, yeah, so we're all, we're all very excited to be here. How's the uh, red dirt treating you? Oh, well, it's, uh, yeah, for one, uh, one competitor, He's, uh, he's had a momentous uh, two days. Uh, uh, got unlucky enough to land the paddock uh, about uh, 40 kilometres north of here. We don't get these sort of trees very often, but uh, we end up taking five cars, 30 people. And But at the same time, it was wonderful. We uh, we really saw the, the, the team spirit uh, and uh, teamwork uh, that brings us all together. And uh, last night, we, uh, yeah, we... We finally got him home after about a two-day retrieve. Uh, don't let that put you off, everyone. It's uh, extremely unusual, but, uh, yeah, we had a great time. And, yeah, cleaned the aircraft up, and, and uh, lots of stories are going to be told for probably another 20 or so years. <laughs> the retrieve to end all retrieves, huh? Yeah, I've been, been on a couple of my days, but, um, but yeah, this is, uh, yeah, this is pretty impressive. Oh, was he in the middle of the field or something, or...? Yeah, just in the middle of a of an irrigated field. So, uh, so of course we had to uh, look after the farmer and and, and yeah. try and get it out without hurting him and being respectful to the land. And and yeah, uh, yeah uh, it even crossed her mind to call the the uh, the army to see if we could get a a chinook or a, yeah in there to, to lift it out. It was pretty wet. <laughs> Very unusual. Oh, wow. Can you tell me uh, how many competitors you've got up there this week, and what's the catchment area? Where are they all coming from? Okay, so we got uh, we got fourteen competitors uh, flying in uh, in a single seat class, uh, and that's the fourteen that will be uh, selected uh, to represent Australia. Uh, but one of the beauties about uh, about this uh, gliding competitions is that we use uh, uh, it as a venue to coach uh, young pilots as well. So we've got uh, a young fella from South Australia uh, who's come up. He's uh, he's just 14, absolute talent on the uh, on the control stick. I've been told, and uh, raging up to the 25 year olds. I said before, but they're flying with uh, national, state uh, coaches, and we've even got uh, Garrett Willett, who's got uh, well over 6,000 hours, professional gliding instructor, and represented uh, America. I think in about four or five world championships. So. So we've got a great group of people and, and uh, they're leading the way with a, with a great uh, coaching program and helping us have fun. Cool. So you're, you're flying a mixture of single seat and dual seat, aren't you? That's right. Yep. So we've got the 14, 14 uh, single seat competitors uh, flying around their machines that can fly uh, 40, 42 to 1. So for every kilometre in height, nice. they'll fly 42 kilometres out. And we've also got the uh, the latest generation two seaters, uh, which are uh, which are helping shape our um, yeah gliding nation's future. Cool. What kind, what kind of aircraft are you seeing there? I mean, we spoke before we started recording about my time on Blanix and, and things like that, but what kind of aircraft have you got these days? Yeah, we've got uh, the latest uh, German gliders, uh, Schemperth, uh, which is a, a duo discus. Uh, the Kingaroy Soaring Club, which, uh, which I'm a member of, uh, own uh, this here as one of their primary cross-country uh, races. Uh, and uh, then we've got uh, other little, what we call baby discuses, which are single-seaters. Uh, we've, and then uh, we've got my own, which uh, which I, uh, my dad flew in 1979 when he used to own it, oh, and uh, yeah, I managed to get it back in the family, and uh, and it uh, yeah, it's a it's a, a Cirrus glider, 15 meters of wingspan, and uh, just beautiful fly. Yeah, very nice. The Cirrus is a beautiful plane. Yeah, I uh, I, I, I like it. Take a lot of pride in it. Uh, it's, it's always <laughs> nice saying something for the first time and and uh, showing it off to your mates. 
Now, can you tell us in general what are what are the rules of the competitions? What are you aiming to see, and how does a person, uh, you know, how does a person win this competition? It's quite simple, or uh, or maybe not really, but uh, to keep it, uh, yeah, to keep it like that, we basically set a task each morning uh, where the organisers all get together and uh, check out the weather, uh, and then the terrain, where the rain may have been the day prior, and we set a, a task from A to B to C generally, and then back to A. Uh, today we saw a, a flight of uh, 320 kilometres racing out to the Darling Downs and then uh, up north uh, through the Kingaroy Valley. Uh, the winner did it at 102 kilometres per hour, but in the past we've uh, seen some amazing speeds of 100 and 158, uh, 177 kilometres per hour. It's uh, wow. when the weather in Australia lines up, it's uh, it's something truly amazing. Yeah, they must have just had a boulevard of little cumulus to run between. That's right. Yeah, it's just like a big highway. Um, <laughs> quite often the uh, yeah, quite often the wind and the paddocks uh, all line up, and and we get uh, you know ten or so clouds just lining up, and and yeah, we're flying along at two hundred kilometres per hour, not even turning, just what we call dolphin flying. Just great personal satisfaction when you can line that up. Oh yeah. Yeah. So so having said all that, uh, we set the task. The competitors race around. And naturally, the fastest pilot wins. Uh, they'll get a thousand pilots. Uh, sorry, a thousand points. My apologies. And uh, from there on, the the, the speed uh, will um, of the of the other places just get a percentage of that. Okay. So, and then at the end of the week, uh, eight day uh, championships, uh, the person with the most points wins. And are they using uh, cameras to get photos to prove they hit each point, uh, each turning spot, or do they? Do you have spotters on the ground clocking them as they go over? Well, that's that's the way the days uh, definitely started with a uh, map and, uh, and cameras, and, and certainly other methods prior to that. But uh, in this latest generation, we've got uh, one of our sponsors, uh, which is uh, dittolog.com, I believe it is, and uh, and it basically gives you a. Uh, a standalone scoring system. Uh, this is actually uh, a world's first at the Australian Junior Gliding Championships to have hands-free scoring. So you get a point um, in, the, in the atmosphere logged uh, every five seconds. Uh, and uh, basically when it lands, it sends that file wirelessly uh, to my father, who's a scorer, um, who's written a program to then automatically upload that score to the web. Literally uh, today, uh, the winner, uh, a local boy, um, uh, Nick Maddox from Boona, his mum called him before he even got back to the hangar saying, well done, love, uh, you won the day, uh, <laughs> which is unheard of because more often than not, you, you see these results the next day because uh, people yeah. are up computing and calculating and yep. yeah, just uh, just phenomenal. That's great. Is that has that kind of logger? Does that do you see that opening the uh, way to have more than just a race across a point, but uh, like who can stay above a certain altitude longer? Who can get the highest peak speed? All those kind of things are possible. Absolutely. Yeah. I suppose that has been uh, done for years with these uh, data loggers uh, and guys over in New Zealand and uh, Argentina. They're doing flights of three thousand kilometres in a day, uh, which basically. Gee. Just, I don't know how the, those guys do it, but absolutely impressive. Uh, Good. <laughs> so yeah, so it records all these all these flights for us, and it, uh, I'm sure it records uh, the aerobatics. I'm not into that side of gliding myself, but it'll probably help there and local soaring. Uh, it's great for coaching, so you can analyse how people have done their turns and see how they're running along underneath those streets we talked about earlier. Uh, yeah, it's a yeah a great coaching tool more than uh, more than anything. 
we are seeing something similar happen with the uh, the ballooning world where uh, thanks to the data loggers we're actually now seeing some more complicated forms of, of competition over and above just uh, judge declared goal pilot declared goal follow-ons things like that we're now also seeing uh, things like uh, staying within a toroid of space and moving up and down in columns okay. and some really complex things that uh, now that you, you can think three-dimensionally and add the fourth dimension of time in and you know so for gliding it's like who can stay above 10,000 feet for the long or 5,000 feet for the longest you know that kind of thing yeah well I suppose the beauty about the data log is that we're and and soon uh, I'm sure we'll be able to uh, yeah show the the races live like America's Cup and all that sort of stuff so that's going to be the interesting side of the data loggers and the, and the latest Ooh. stuff but uh, yeah, yeah you, you could do, you could do all sorts of stuff in in the early days to get a 10 minute flight was uh, was wonderful the glide glide performance but yeah. Um, for instance, my father now, I think his longest flight would be well over 10 hours in a, in a glider, oh, uh, wow. covering, covering 1,000 kilometres. Uh, so, yeah, as, as, as you may or may not know, the, the thermal updrafts uh, are created from the ground being heated, and they, they obviously rise. And, and what we try and do is, is hook into those thermals uh, to take a skyward. So, um, so certainly to sort of stay above and below altitudes is uh, quite a task sometimes, uh, but that's, that's what makes it interesting because you your, your, your knowledge about the weather um, and uh, terrain, your other competitors, psychology, it all plays a part in trying to create the, the ultimate flight that can be uh, judged by the uh, scorers at the end of the day. Yeah, no, I've got a I've got a book in my hot little hands right here. That's a, a 1944 book called Soaring Flight by Terence Horsley out of the UK. <laughs> and uh, exactly yeah, what nice, you're talking nice. about. A yeah, ten-minute yeah. flight was a good thing. <laughs> it's uh, it's amazing. Yeah, it just used to be a uh, just used to be a bobsled ride. It was uh, yeah, good fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah and they'd, they'd haul them up the up, up the slope. And in fact, uh, we recently had uh, some bright young um, uh, gentlemen and young lasses who who got a uh, trip of a lifetime up to uh, Poland, uh, oh, where wow. they actually um, pushed their gliders off the side of a hill, much <laughs> like a uh, much like a blanet. But yeah, they launched through gravity. Just amazing. That's great. Yeah, yeah, getting to the real heart of uh, heart of what it's all about, just enjoying what it is. That's an interesting point you made there, uh, young boys and young girls. I mean, what's what's the percentage? Are there a lot of uh, you know pretty even spread of males to females that are interested in the the junior gliding scene? Absolutely, we got we got quite a quite a number of young ladies here this year. It's, generally, we do find it is male dominated, but uh, there's certainly no reason why we can't have a a female dominating the, the world uh, championship scene. In fact, I have uh, the world gliding championships for women as well, so they got their own little class. But but uh, quite often they're they're matching it up with us. Uh, as everyone else that is um, yeah at regular championships so yeah it's it's always nice to see bright young uh, ladies uh, around as well um, that uh, we really would like to see more of them of course absolutely and speaking of the world championships I guess this is where this is all leading uh, what can you tell us about the world championships and, and based on your experience how do our competitors look at the moment uh, by comparison to uh, the rest of the world thankfully we've got uh, a great national uh, coaching uh, gliding scene over here with uh, a vast array of coaches who uh, yeah who spend a lot of time every Every year preparing us. Um, uh, the Australian Institute of Sports have helped us out in the past and uh, yeah every, every team that's ever gone over whether they placed uh, well or not so well have always re- represented proudly and and uh, ever, they always give great reports back and, and uh, share their experiences with everyone else. Um, I was lucky enough to represent uh, Australia with my best mate uh, David McManus. Uh, he and I both uh, achieved a, a result of 15 out of 30 in our first champs. Uh, yeah came back happy and uh, just can't wait to do it again one day. And where is the uh, the Junior World uh, Championships? 
I believe uh, they're coming up to be in Poland in 2013. Uh, and I was lucky enough to fly in sort of similar conditions to Australia in 2005 at uh, Husband's Bosworth, which is in uh, mid-United uh, Kingdom. So, yeah, very, very exciting. Uh, and, uh, yeah, with, uh, with certainly with all the support and uh, funding, sponsorship um, that uh, that is available and, and that we work for, uh, it made it for quite a, um, yeah, uh, a cheap and uh uh, effective experience. Adam, as we record this, it's uh, sort of midweek, so I guess you're sort of, uh, you know, halfway through the, the championships. Are there any competitors there that you can tell us about at the moment that are uh, standing out at this stage? Absolutely. Uh, from a great, great range, actually. We've got the uh, the two uh, Maddox boys from down in uh, Boona. They're uh, they're racing hard and uh, and looking uh, looking like a, a podium finish. Uh, all the way uh, down to a, a young lad uh, named Michael who's uh, 16. Uh, he's flown about four or five cross-country flights in his life and, and uh, each afternoon uh, we've got an international uh, coach uh, involved who's uh, lending us his uh, experience. Uh, and each day this, this young fella blinds us away with, uh, with his statistics that he's getting. He's, he's not particularly placing well, but, uh, but the statistics show that, okay, this guy, this guy could be one to watch. Um, and uh, yeah, certainly uh, another South Australian uh, lash. Uh, she's going great handling skills and, and uh, racing quite well, um, taking charge of all the flights. Uh, yeah, we're all we're all having a having a fantastic time. Well, that's fantastic, mate. And we might actually catch up with you uh, when the competition is over and uh, record another interview, uh, which will go into uh, one of our early shows for next year. And you can tell us about uh, who is the eventual winner. Absolutely. It'd, uh, it'd be my pleasure, uh, Stephen Grant. Uh, if anyone's uh, interested in getting into uh, gliding, of course, uh, Gliding Queensland's one of our major sponsors. Uh, and they're, uh, they've uh, led uh, Queensland to be probably one of the premier states in gliding. Uh, my hometown club is uh, King Royce Soaring Club. It's just a great vibe here, amazing meals at night, so everyone has a laugh and yeah, can't, can't get enough of it. And of course, uh, you can always check out uh, our website, joeyglide.com.au and that'll see all the, all the live tracking, the live scores, daily updates, uh, Twitter feeds, uh, you name it. We're, uh, we're getting out there to show the world uh, what we're all about and we're having fun. Sounds fantastic. Wonderful, Adam. Adam Woolley is the uh, Contest Director of Joey Glide 2011, the Internode Junior Gliding Championships. Adam, we really uh, thank you for spending some time with us this evening. Terrific. My pleasure, Stephen Grant. Have a, uh, have a great evening and, uh, yeah, we'll talk again soon. Whether you're buying or selling a light single-engine aircraft or a corporate jet, do it faster and easier with aviationadvertiser.com.au. Aviationadvertiser.com.au is Australia's largest aviation marketplace. As the country's largest source of aircraft classifieds, you'll find hundreds of new and used aircraft of all types online 24 hours a day. With ads from just $39 and the convenience of buying and selling online, it's easy and affordable. Connect with Australia's largest buy and sell aviation community at aviation. Want to see Sydney from a different angle? Red Baron Adventures have the flight experience for you. From the aerobatic thrills of the Red Bull stunt plane to scenic flights over Sydney Harbour, there's something for everyone. So check it out at redbaron.com.au for the best seat in the house. Hi, this is Max Flight. Besides producing the Airplane Geeks podcast, I run the 30,000 Feet Aviation Directory. If you have a look at the Aviation Podcast page, you'll find links to literally dozens of aviation podcasts. Go have a look and listen to a few. Then come back here and get the real deal at Plane Crazy Down Under. Find this and other great shows at the Aviation Media Network. 
www.radiomaria.com And welcome back, folks. I tell you what, Grant, uh, gliding, you know, that's something else I really ought to try. That's something I've never tried. Oh, it's definitely something to try, mate. You've you've got to give it a whirl. Getting up there, releasing the tow cable and trying to stay up in the air based on thermals and hunting them. And, you know, it's with a good glider, you can stay up there pretty easily unless you're in the middle of winter or on a day with no lift. <laughs> I've had days where I've come down and it was during winter, admittedly, but we were just doing practice uh, yarrow tow and uh, things like that. And sure enough, we were on the ground almost the, the same time as the, the uh, tug plane. Now, I'll tell you what, we didn't get uh, time to really uh, go into too much detail there with uh, with Adam about uh, some of his history, but uh, he dropped in a couple of interesting points there about uh, some of the things he's done uh, in his uh, time in uh, world championships. So uh, I'm tipping we'll uh, keep his details, Grant, and I think we'll uh, get Adam back on the line uh, in the new year and maybe go into that in a bit more depth. Uh, sounds like a really interesting story but uh, just looking on the uh, Joey Glide website uh, as we record this and it looks like we do have some uh, winners here we can talk about it looks like uh, the top three there were Andrew Maddox from Boona Nathan Johnson from Tamora and Nick Maddox from Boona and I'll tell you what Grant uh, have a look at some of these speeds uh, 82.7 kilometers per hour uh, 78.1 kilometers per hour and 70.5 kilometers an hour I, I would have thought that was a pretty decent turn of speed for something with no engine in it yeah well that's the average speed around the course uh, you've got to allow for time where you're spending just going up or hunting thermals and not really going along the line um, as was being said in the interview uh, if you get that street of clouds all lining up you can just keep going going really quickly straight along and that gets you some incredible speeds on average around the course but uh, yeah look mate it uh, was pretty good they've done uh, quite a bit of distance they've uh, flown really well and congratulations to everyone who took part well done to everyone that was great we'll catch up with uh, Adam again in the new year and uh, maybe have a bit of wrap up of those results and get some of his story but Grant I'll tell you someone else that does well a lot of distance and here he comes our good friend the posty uh, yeah almost the midnight posty once again well, Grant, list of mail, he says, reaching for something to sound like mail. Hang on, I'll just grab it here. There we go. Yes, folks, simulated sound effects. Even our emails make paper sounds. It's amazing, really, isn't it? Yeah, no, it's just, it's all those sound effects you have whenever you open the inbox. Well, Grant, uh, we've got uh, two or three here to read out. Do you want to kick it off? Yeah, first up, mate, uh, thanks to uh, Ryan Hothersall, who uh, sent us through a link to uh, the recent 2011 uh, short takeoff and landing competitions. Uh, we'll make sure we put that one in the show notes because it's, uh, it's a great video. I've uh, had a couple of people send that one to me and really enjoy watching it, uh, these fully tricked out uh, super cubs and so on, and big tundra tires and all the stole equipment. They just basically wind it up. Next thing you know, they're still standing on the brakes. The tail comes up, they release, go forward, and boom, they're in the air. And, and they're really taking off in a tiny distance. And then sure enough, they come back and they land, and it's like they're landing on a dime. Absolutely incredible. Yes, mate, that uh, really was amazing. And uh, i tell you what, Ryan Hothersall's uh, photography skills are amazing too. And, uh, you know, get on to, uh, I mentioned uh, myaviation.net before. He has got thousands of photos on there, and they're all great, every single one of them. So uh, thanks again, Ryan, and we're glad to have you as uh, part of the PCDU community, mate. And uh, please uh, keep in touch. We really appreciate it. Someone else that keeps in touch with us uh, quite often, Grant, is our anonymous donor from Canberra, who we're now going to call from here on in the Airstig. That's right. Uh, he sent a photo of himself in wearing the helmet. So yes, the Airstig. 
he was sitting in an aircraft looking just like the Stig out of Top Gear. Uh, so we thought we'd better use that name. And uh, congratulations, Mr. Air Stig, on the recent arrival of an additional Stigette. Yes, absolutely. And we won't go into too much detail because the Air Stig needs to protect the Air Stig's uh, identity. But uh, well done on the arrival of, yes, a Stigette. Uh, we'd also like to say uh, thanks to Keen Burke, who uh, sent a quick email to us saying Merry Christmas, Happy New Year. And uh, apparently he's going to get an award for longevity and um, maybe a bit of masochism. He's been listening to us for uh, nearly a year. Wow, that, that could be a way of stunting the young man's growth, though. I don't know. That's really healthy, Keen. You should listen yeah. to some other podcasts occasionally, but always come back to PCDU. Yeah, just, just for that dosage of uh, local insanity as opposed to the international variants. For our listeners who are not aware, Keen is a young fella. He's only 12 or 13 years old, but uh, very, very uh, interested in aviation. Got his eyes uh, squarely there on an airline career, and uh, Keen will help you along, mate. We'll send you over a plane crazy down under cap, so uh, make sure it's okay with your parents and then send us your address and uh, we'll get that out to you. Uh, it won't get there by Christmas, unfortunately, but uh, hopefully by New Year's. Oh, cool. Actually, hey, I-, I think I need another cap, mate. Well, Grant, you don't send me enough emails. Ah, oh, damn it. Oh, I can fix that. Actually, that's <laughs> not true. Grant sends me about 3,000 emails a week. <laughs> Do not. Only a thousand. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> and our last one that we got here this week is from uh, Gary Collins. And uh, Gary, thanks, mate. He just sent me in a uh, an email here just to say well done for uh, getting my railway equivalent of an instructor rating. And uh, we'll, we'll say OJT because Anthony will know what that is. But uh, yeah, and ending asked a question about a railway specific question about what trains were uh, effectively rated on. So I just uh, typed back and typed in some train nerd stuff that uh, won't interest anybody on this podcast. Not even Anthony. Actually, especially not you. Anthony. Um, I'm not doing train acronyms. Yeah, they don't call it an instructor rating in the railways, but uh, there you go. It's, it's, I guess it's as close as you come to it. Something similar to that. So uh, thanks, thanks, Gary. Uh, GA with L-plates. Now, I happen to think GA with L-plates caused quite some discussion on an episode of UCAP not so long yep. back. Actually, it was quite a while back now. So using uh, the word L-plates, uh, of course, they don't use L-plates over in the US. So I think uh, Jack, Dave and Jeb were a little bit uh, bemused about that, but I'm sure their listeners set them straight uh, in, in subsequent episodes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they did. They got they got it all sorted out. <laughs> hey, Gary, uh, let us know uh, when you're no longer on L plates. Maybe when you're on your P plates, and uh, we'll uh, we'll make sure we give you a huge shout out then. Yeah, that would be cool, actually. You know, like on P plates, and let's see if the Yanks get that one figured out. So we're playing crazy down under at gmail.com, folks. Uh, we always like people to uh, write in and uh, let us know what's on their mind, and uh, we've really appreciated everybody in 2011 who's uh, taken the time to uh, write in and communicate with us and tell us what we're doing right, tell us what we're doing wrong, and uh, everything in between it's uh, you know it's all about uh, creating a community here and that's what we've been trying to do for the last two and a half years and uh, really pleased with the way that's all bubbling along yeah there you go mate it's building a community but uh, the community needs content and uh, people to help bring it to them so we'd really like to run through our traditional end of year shout outs and mate we're going to start with our sponsors and uh, going through in no particular order uh, one of our sponsors first one off the rank is of course Aviation Advertiser they've been there with us and helping us out with some uh, systems, getting us some adverts and uh, helping put some money in towards our various ventures around the place, particularly getting to uh, NatFly in Easter and uh, off to helping us to get to Oshkosh. We've sort of been uh, working on and off with Aviation Advertiser for more than a bit over 12 months now. Uh, we really do appreciate Aviation Advertiser's support of our show this year. And uh, another sponsor that uh, really came to the fore this year and helped us out with uh, our Oshkosh coverage and a bit of support uh, since then is uh, Gips Aero. Uh, boy, what uh, I tell you what, uh, they, they really uh, provided some wonderful support for us at Oshkosh. Oh, it was great working with them and hanging out and catching up and 
recording a whole lot of content that uh, we are still working on to get out and package that into a show of its own. Uh, there's still lots of content from Oshkosh we haven't completed yet, but there's been lots going on since we got back. But yeah, the guys at Gipsero, really cool working with them. And uh, thanks especially to Mark McNamara, uh, really a lot of fun guy and uh, really great working with him and the rest of the team over there at Oshkosh. It really sort of fits in with the with the ethos of this show, which is to promote the positive aspects of the Australian and New Zealand uh, aviation industry. And when you see a company like Gips Aero that are, that are making these aircraft, you know, in a, a relatively small airfield down there at the Latrobe Valley and exporting them right around the world, I mean, that is, you know, that's that's a great good news story. And even if they weren't sponsoring us, I still think that's a great good news story. Oh, so. We've always been saying it's great what Gips Aero are doing, and uh, it's just really good now to be even closer with them. Uh, they're, they're producing a, some amazing equipment. There's some great stuff coming out in the future really good to be uh, hanging out with them and looking forward to going down and going for a fly actually yep so we must do that in fact i've been talking to our friend owen's up recently about that and uh, <laughs> talking to owen about uh, how, just how we would do an air test because owen does lots of them for australian aviation magazine and uh, <laughs> he knows a lot more about it than we do actually i should mention while we're talking about owen's up that uh, he's got a, a new uh, website up at owensup.com and uh, you get over there and have a look at uh, owen's writing he's actually even branching away from aviation and uh, actually did one recently about sir donald bradman which was a really great article uh, and owen also wanted to mention that he's got a fan page now on Facebook which is Owen's Up Author uh, which is separate from his private page and uh, he'd uh, you know if you'd like to follow Owen's articles he puts all his all the links to his uh, new, most recent articles uh, there on his Facebook page so that's Owen's Up Author if you look that up on Facebook for those of you that use Facebook and most of you do follow Owen there and uh, catch up on you know, his aviation stories and other stories besides. Hey mate another one of our sponsors Andrew Temby from Temby Automotive he chipped in and helped us with our coverage of Avalon helped uh put in some of the fuel in the car effectively is what it worked out to uh, which if you know Steve's car that's a lot of fuel to get to and from Avalon oh, come on it's only a Falcon yeah, well, you know, it, it did have that slurping sound. But um, yeah, Andrew Temby from Temby Automotive, uh, really great guy, a lot of fun. Uh, we caught up with him briefly, but didn't have him on the show at uh, Turidan this weekend. Uh, he was very busy flying a lot of people around, uh, people getting a chance to see what it's like to fly in a yak and experience some of Andrew's classic aerobatics. So uh, thanks, Andrew. Really appreciate all the support, mate. Now let's move on to another sponsor that's been uh, that really kicked off the uh, the Oshkosh thing for us this year, and that is uh, the two prices, Mark Junior and Mark Senior. There at JetRide.com.au. I tell you what, uh, all I had to do was turn forty this year, and uh, you know my brother <laughs> and my uh, organised the rest of my family and friends to uh, get that ride in the L39 for me, and uh, it, it, the rest is history. Uh, those guys, we would not have gone to Oshkosh without them. They organised our airfares for us, and uh, they've been wonderful sponsors of our show and a huge shout out to uh, the guys at Jet Ride. Uh, definitely. Uh, couldn't have done it without you guys. Uh, really blew us away when you contacted us and said, hey, we want to help out. Uh, that was just great. Really happy uh, with everything we've had to do with them. Um, I'm also happy because, yay, I got a ride in the jet as well. And one of these days I'll get the time to release the video of that. I'm still trying to figure out if there's anything like, you know, Photoshop for videos so I can uh, make myself look better, uh, especially those bits where we're pulling a few G's and the wrinkles really start to come out. But, you know, it was a really good time and they've been an amazing sponsor and we really really appreciate everything that the guys at jetride.com.au slash pcdu have done for us yep and we want to uh, shout out again to uh, another sponsor we had earlier in the year uh, that's uh, joel Heskey out there at red baron uh, red baron adventures up there in sydney uh, he helped us out also with our avalon coverage and uh, i'll tell you what if you want to know what they do if you're a new listener to the show and you're not exactly sure uh, how they approach training in particular up there at red baron uh, go back and have a listen to uh, our interview with joel Heskey. Uh, was actually 
actually from 2009 in episode number 18. Yep, uh, definitely. And don't forget, if you're going to uh, do anything with Red Baron from a joyride to a trial introductory flight to a bit of aerobatics, uh, please do tell them that you heard about them from us or that you've uh, heard about them before, but heard them mentioned on our show and just let them know. And that's always handy because it's always good to know that people are listening and acting when they hear about us. And speaking of uh, acting and uh, listening and uh, doing things, what more can we say but Thrombier, the lowest of the low, the cheapest of the cheap. They treat everyone identically, badly. <laughs> I tell you what, these people, the Robert E. Coli, um, fantastic, huge, massive sponsor. Mr. E. Coli came in and Mrs. E. Coli as well came in and helped us out uh, financially with our trip to Oshkosh. But uh, they've also provided us with some fantastic uh, just moral support this year, which has been wonderful. It's always come at the right time. I just want to give my most heartfelt thanks to to all the help that they've given us uh, financial and otherwise. If I can just jump in and say I need to give my support and great thanks to the whole E. coli family uh, for what they actually did for PCDU in that they removed you from the country during the period <laughs> of Oshkosh. And I'd also like to give my thanks to the relatives of the E. coli family. Um, that would be the G. Staff family that has basically infected me since I've got back from Europe <laughs> towards the end of the year and which is why I sound a little bit nasally. One thing I have to say is the Thrombier cartoons. There is one, if you go and have a look on our webpage, you can see it. It's about the infrequent flyer. <laughs> I absolutely love it. The only problem I have is that Tom Cruise does not actually peel my grapes when I fly overseas. He personally wraps my Dolmartis. Oh, there you go. Because <laughs> Anthony is a man of high culture. <laughs> and moving on quickly. Yeah, quickly indeed, mate. Uh, let's move straight on to all those wonderful people out there who have made use of the donation button and have actually chipped in some bucks to help us make the show go. We'd really like to thank all the donors who have uh, helped provide a bit of financial support, both uh, small bits during the year and those who all chipped in to help keep us going while we're in Oshkosh. Thanks, folks. Yeah, and uh, ditto from me. And uh, not only from Oshkosh, uh, of course, uh, people do chip in a few dollars throughout the year. Uh, and that money, of course, goes towards our equipment. It pays for our fuel when we get around places. And, uh, you know, sometimes we actually have to take time away from work to do that. It really does uh, provide us with a lot of support. And uh, it's helped us to uh, achieve the success we've achieved uh, this year with the show. And, of course, uh, the whole point of the show, as we mentioned, is to bring you along for the ride. And uh, people that uh, also help do that, of course, PCDU not being just a two-person show, but uh, there's a lot of other people that help along the way. Uh, we want to thank Baz Sheffers, Anthony Crichton-Brown, Kathy Mexted, Ben Ippolito, aka ATC Ben, David Vanderhoof, Dan Morris, Peter Johnson, all the way out there in the UK, and of course, last but definitely not least, Anthony Simmons. Yes. Hi. I'm Anthony Simmons, and this is The View from the Lounge. Yes, that's The View from the Lounge. So, Anthony, another another great year, mate. Uh, we've uh, had some great adventures, haven't we? It's been another very interesting year. I've enjoyed it. I'm the, the difficult thing that I'm having is that the more that I hang around with you guys, the more that I'm learning about aviation. <laughs> basically, I'm meant to play the village idiot, and I was doing that very, very well. But when you start talking about, you know, bulkheads and uh, flaps and trajectories and, you know, I'm speaking to Mo 
in regards to, well, do these propellers have individual pitch or are they set pitch? Yeah. It sort of gives the game away. Yeah. I don't know how I'm going to get out of it. Well, in fact, Anthony, we're not going to let you get out of it. In fact, I'm sure we'll have some uh, new projects uh, for you in the new year, so you won't be allowed to get away with it at all, mate. But uh, moving right along here, of course, uh, behind the scenes, we have a lot of people supporting us. Uh, Our photography and video crews this year that have given us huge amounts of help is, of course, uh, Adam Vischer and Stephen Pam. Uh, Of course, uh, Grant, I should mention that uh, Stephen Pam was the one that did a fantastic, wonderful video video work for us at Avalon, and uh, yeah, that really uh, shot us to fame, really. A lot of people said, gee, you guys did great work, but it was actually Stephen Pam that did the video editing for us. (laughs) We just stood there and spoke. That's exactly right. And uh, Adam, of course, uh, has taken some awesome photos. He's given us a lot of support this year, uh, not only with the photography side of stuff, but uh, getting our logo organized for us and uh, giving us a lot of support. So we want to uh, acknowledge those two guys in particular. Also, uh, Alan Van Pedge, our uh, PA guy, who's uh, doing some uh, really interesting things with us, and there'll be more about that in the new year. And of course, uh, Mike Wilson, our friend over in the US. Uh, We really want to do a big shout out again to Mike for uh, tagging along with us and letting us uh, hijack his car at Oshkosh. And uh, he gave us a lot of help uh, behind the scenes at Oshkosh. Indeed, that was great. And also for putting up with me going, oh, open that door, close that door, open that door. (laughs) Man, I just love that remote access door. The whole side of the car just opened up with him pushing a button. Amazing. Yes, it's wonderful. In fact, you know, it keeps his kids really uh, amused too, Grant. I'm just saying. Yeah, thanks, mate. I I guess I have been a bit of a kid at heart for most of all this, haven't I? Uh, Yes, absolutely. And then the longer we do this, Grant, the more kid-like we get, I think. Oh, definitely. Now, come on, I'm going to throw a tanty if we don't move on. Of course, we had our Christmas barbecue and our fly-in just recently that we talked about at the top of the show, and you've heard a couple of interviews uh, that we recorded there. And of course, that was done by our great friends at Aus Air Services down there at Turidan Airport. Stop in there if you're ever flying around. They've got some great facilities down there and uh, as we always mention uh, Aussie services do great work really interesting things and uh, they, they certainly uh, are not backward in supporting us no and they're definitely doing a lot to uh, help support aviation and uh, grow the next generation of pilots Ian Kershaw uh, up there in Canada our friend up there in Canada who uh, helped us this year with our listener survey which was uh, very very helpful to us also uh, James Williams and Dave Gray from the uh, Lifestyle Pod Network uh, thanks guys for uh, having us on your shows this year and also for including including us in the network. Definitely a plus. And uh, we'd also like to thank Milford and Charlie, of course, from Flight Time Radio, where you can hear us every now and again putting out our Flying Down Under segment. Uh, those guys have been great with their support and uh, a lot of fun to work with. Yep. And, uh, of course, now we want to shout out to our friends at the Airplane Geeks, which we always do. But uh, in particular, we want to thank Max Flight and Courtney Miller for making all of this happen. Uh, you know, this show started out as a segment on their show back in 2009. And uh, as we said in a recent Australia desk, well, uh, you know, it's all their fault that we're doing this now. <laughs> Indeed. And uh, in addition to Dan Webb, the wonder kid of the geeks, there's also Rob Mark. Uh, Rob really went out of his way to uh, help us out around the time of Oshkosh, uh, giving us uh, full access to Camp Jetwine at his place, uh, where we stayed beforehand and where I stayed afterwards. And mate, couldn't have done it without you. Really appreciate all the running around and the help you gave us. Flying Baz and I out to meet up with the guys from uh, Bonanzas to Oshkosh. All brilliant, all really great. I don't know if there's enough Tim Tams in the world to say thanks, but we'll try. Yeah, we've been supplying him with a few. He wasn't too keen on the Vegemite, as I remember. Yeah, no, well, yeah, we'll, we'll work with him. We'll work with him. We'll start with the easy stuff. And uh, as we're going through the list here, we want to also thank uh, Mike Miley and Rod Rakic from uh, MyTransponder.com, making aviation more social. Uh, they uh, helped us out getting us set up with a campsite there at uh, Oshkosh. And, uh, boy, I don't know what we would have done without those guys, particularly uh, Mike Miley with his uh, portable office block and its air conditioning. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, that was uh, quite an impressive uh, piece of mobile equipment. I'd always heard about these enormous mobile homes that were sort of like a truck, but uh, wow, it was just very impressive to be uh, camping out in that one doing our uh, our post-production work. Quick shout out for me to Stu Stevenson from uh, Pilot's Journey podcast. Uh, He was good enough to uh, put up with me uh, for a couple of days there when I uh, visited Dan in Texas, and uh, we we had a great time looking at his magnificent recording studio that puts mine to shame, and I'm pretty proud of mine, I can tell you, but boy, his is unbelievable, (laughs) and uh, we uh, we had a great time there with Stu. Great guy, and it was a real pleasure to meet you, mate. Uh, And Grant, uh, we've got to give a shout out to uh, the the two people that uh, for that, which we'd never have permission to do this, and of course, that's your wonderful fiancé, Kit, and my wonderful wife, Kathy, for their continuing status as podcast widows. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, they they do put up with a lot with us uh, running around the place to go uh, play with aircraft and uh, do air shows and things like that, uh, as well as us disappearing into studios and uh, offices to, to record at all weird hours of the week. Yep, which is what we're doing right now, in fact. Funny that. Now, uh, that was a really long thank you list, folks, but uh, as I say, we have a lot to be thankful for here at Playing Crazy Down Under, and uh, we, we want to make sure that we acknowledge everyone. If we've missed anybody, we uh, we didn't do it deliberately, but uh, but it is a long list, um, and, and we really appreciate everyone that's been part of this show. But uh, mostly, Grant, we really want to thank our audience, which has been growing a lot this year. In fact, you know, uh, when we first started doing this show, um, we, we used to measure our download numbers in multiples of, of the dozen, let's say. Uh, last year, we were me- measuring it in uh, multiples of hundreds, well, this year, I can tell you, we're measuring in multiples of thousands. So it's it's been amazing. Uh, we said at the end of last year that we'd be trying some new things in 2011. We we really think we did that. We started off with our Avalon coverage. We don't think any other uh, aviation podcast has tried anything like that. It was a real experiment for us. We really were pleased with the way it came out, and uh, we'll certainly be aiming to do more stuff like that in the future. We moved on to NatFly and, of course, Oshkosh, which blew our minds. We really hope that uh, you enjoyed coming along for the ride with us. Indeed. It was uh, an absolutely fascinating experience, and one day my brain will catch up to me, and I might actually write up a few more of those daily blog entries. I was trying to put them out, but I just totally ran out of brain space. So there you have it. So, uh, you know, the uh, the aims of this show we've talked about a lot. Um, you know, there's, there's really at the moment still nobody else in this country that's uh, that's doing this sort of show. And we figure that if it's aviation in this country, if it's personalities, if it's major events, if it's political players, well, you've heard them all on PCDU this year. And uh, we're very, very proud of that. And uh, we certainly hope that you've found it a, uh, an interesting and informative show. Even if perhaps at times you might not have agreed with everything we've had to say, we uh, we really do appreciate you participating in our community. That's for sure. Uh, it's great hearing your feedback from everyone. It's great watching. Uh, the comments on Facebook and in various other places as people engage with each other uh, on our on our space and uh, we're looking forward to doing the whole lot and hopefully more in 2012. And as we bring uh, 2011 to a close, uh, we want to wish every, each and every one of you a safe Christmas, a very happy new year and a uh, very prosperous uh, 2012. Have a great time, no matter what you're celebrating at this time of year, whatever it is, hope it's going great and uh, yeah, looking forward to a really brilliant 2012. I hope you have a very- very, very safe, prosperous and happy festive season. Merry Christmas, folks. And uh, if you're uh, thinking of flying over the festive season, well, I tell you what, just remember this. It's what's down under that counts, folks. See you in 2012. You've been listening to Plane Crazy Down Under, hosted by Steve Vischer and Grant McCarran. Show notes, links to our forum, Facebook fan page, YouTube channel and Grant and Steve's own blogs can be found on our website, www.planecrazydownunder.com or keep up with our Twitter handle of PCDU. Comments or feedback can be left on our website or email us at plainecrazydownunder at gmail.com. If you'd like to help with the ongoing production of the show, feel free to assist via the donate button on the website. Any contributions are most gratefully appreciated. 
Incidental music and sound effects are courtesy of soundsnap.com and title music is You Name It 5 by Brian Simpson. This has been a Southern Skies online media podcast. folks at the Department of the Bleeding Obvious have asked us to make this statement. The views and opinions we present in this podcast are ours and do not necessarily represent those of groups we work with or are associated with, although we think they probably should. We certainly don't claim to be experts, we're just opinionated enthusiasts who are willing to comment publicly on the world around us. This show is intended as entertainment and any education that may occur is purely coincidental. As with anything in life, it is your responsibility to determine what does or does not work in your situation and to seek out suitable guidance and or instruction. This podcast is released under a Creative Commons non-commercial by attribution license. For more details on this license and our contact details, please visit our website at www.playingcrazydownunder.com. Thanks, folks. Uh, I've been recording the moment I came on. You know, you know, you just don't trust me, David. I, I, I can't imagine why this would possibly be. <laughs> Fool me once, shame on me. <laughs> Fool me twice. <laughs> I went with a very low-value character. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Bit of audio from that as well. So very packed program, Grant. I think we should uh, kick it off. And, uh, <laughs> and we haven't decided which order we're going to do this in. <laughs> What's so hard about Maurizio Ferrando? You guys, you cultured guys. You guys. Now, was that okay as a lead-in? Yeah, sounds good. And admittedly, yeah, it was a terrible segue. No, that's all right. I don't know. I've fallen off worse. Oh, I can make something out of that. Before we get sued by the uh, Church of Scientology, among others. Oh, I don't know. I just, I just thought we just had a name for the episode. <laughs> well, what? Tom Cruise wraps my Dolmatis. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, I thought that. And um, the other thing that I also didn't do is that you noticed that I'd mentioned that I'd been in the pilot seat of a B-52H bomber, but I didn't rub it in. No, not this week. (laughs) Oh, no, no, not this week, not this episode. Okay, there's one for the outtakes. (laughs) Yeah, I think so. That's definitely going into the outtakes. Schrittlmeyer, is that your moose? British touring. (laughs) Oh, God, this is up. (laughs) Sorry. (coughs) And tonight on Sneeze Crazy Down Under. Oh, you guys are unbelievable. Yes, okay, British touring car. How do you spell Dormati?